not in Kansas anymore. You have my curiosity. Are you telling me you built a time machine? The force will be with Welcome back to Get Real, the podcast where we get real about all of our favourite pop culture films and TV shows. I am Chris, and with me as always is the sixth member of the Justice League, Us United. He is the visionary behind a much better film. It's Sam. Spoiler alerts, Chris. Now everybody knows you like the film. Well, either get rid of the people who don't want to hear about it or... Is there six members of the Justice League? Or I thought there was... Because he said seven seats, didn't he? No, six seats. Uh, they mention it like three times. He's like, yo, there's only five of us, but like, we need a sixth. What was United Seven? Yeah, but we never got the seventh because... Oh, uh, yeah, true. Because we didn't get a seventh member. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was going to say. We didn't get a seventh, uh, seventh member, but, but Wonder Woman that might have just been... Like, and room for seven, maybe? Yeah. Well, he said, um, uh, he said six chairs and Diana's like, and room for more. Oh, yeah, there you go. Anyways, we're talking about the Snyder Cut, not the original Justice League, because that would be a disaster. This ain't your granddaddy's <laughs> Justice League. This is Zack Snyder's this Justice League. Nobody else is. Sweden's Justice League. Oh, it fucking definitely isn't. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God for that, Jesus. Well, I, I bet you're relieved it wasn't, because imagine if you <sighs> watched it and it was just like, you know, like an extended cut which just adds a couple of deleted scenes in. <laughs> there was more than a couple of deleted scenes oh, jesus yeah. christ my anyway. whole day is gone now <laughs> i know and it was a whole day because it was like four hours so like yeah. i started it at like 1 p.m because i was like i want to have a decent amount of time for the rest of the day so i said i'll get it started early and then have the rest of my day i had to stop it for half an hour in the middle as well and search for an ethernet cable because now tv woof if your oh, internet yeah. drops for a millisecond, it just doesn't buffer ahead of time. So as soon as your internet starts to go for it, literally, there was a couple scenes where I was like, it's like 144p, I can't see what's happening. So I was scrambling <laughs> around finding an ethernet cable. So I plugged it into the ethernet, my Xbox. Oh, yikes. Big yikes. But anyway, let's uh, let's do our first segment, which is the what we've been watching, which is pretty obvious, but we got to do it before <laughs> uh, we start every episode. So uh, what else have you been watching this week, Chris? The Office. <laughs> surprise, of surprise. Of course. We're like just over halfway through season eight now, I think, which is a, a bit of a yikers of a season. So I've been watching Your Line April, which is a slice of life kind of romance anime. I'm trying to watch stuff from like every genre because I'm planning on maybe making a video of it. Yeah. So I'm trying to like diversify myself instead of just watching traditional shonen anime. Okay, cool. So. It's, a, it's genuinely a really heartwarming series about um, a musician trying to find his love for music again and meeting other people and his friends and stuff who were like trying to get him back into it. I feel like I've watched something else, but I just can't think what it is because all I can think about is Justice League right now. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes you don't have to have watched anything else. I've been doing a lot uh... of reading, so oh, yeah, okay. I've been reading stuff instead. What have you been reading? Comic books. <laughs> oh, nice. It's got to be books. Because I put some shelves up last weekend, so I've got all my comic books out, so I was going through like the ones that I haven't read yet, and I've just got Critical Role Vox Machina Origins Volume 2, so I'm reading through that. Um, I think I might finish what I've got of The Walking Dead after this. Nice. I can hear you got... looking at your comic book. <laughs> <laughs> Could you hear me turning away from the microphone? I can, I can hear it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've got 10 volumes of The Walking Dead, so I might go back and watch them, read them. 
Because I think I only got up to volume six last time. Yeah, it's a bit of a slippery slope going and watching them, mate. You'll end up like I did, so... Uh... <laughs> Disappear for a month. Yeah. <laughs> you don't watch What have you been else. watching? Uh, what have I been watching? I watched Cherry. Oh, uh, yeah. Cherry's really, really, really good. Spoilers. Um, it's a bit hit and miss. People are a bit hot and cold about it online. I was I about actually, to say, it's not yeah. doing well online, is it? It's definitely predictable in ways, uh, I won't lie, but I actually really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. I thought wow, it was this is really good. 6.6 on IMDb, 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, Ouch. I'll tell you now, it absolutely doesn't deserve 37%. Absolutely I was about to say, not. it's 93% on Google. It is much better than that. And I don't Three know... out of five from Empire, so... See, that's a bit more on like the positive side. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, man. I, I, I'd be interested to know what you think of it after you've watched it, to see whether you also enjoyed it or whether you had the same problems with it as what everybody else seems to have had. I literally haven't heard anybody. This is the first that I've seen. I remember you saying in the group chat the other day that it wasn't doing well. But you enjoy it, so... I'll definitely give it a watch. I've got some time off over this weekend, so I'll give it a watch. I honestly think it's it's you just got you just take it for what it is. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. were expecting more from it, maybe, and maybe for it to be less predictable. It's about you know if you take what the level of action film that Joe and Anthony Russo put out with Extraction, and if you take yeah. that into a PTSD filled thriller drama. And, mm-hmm. and and you you expect the same kind of result. It's what you get. You get some beautiful cinematography. Uh, the music's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Great acting from Tom Holland. I think a lot of people have probably not given that the credit that it's due. The, yeah. He is absolutely incredible that in that. And so is his female co-star, who I, I didn't recognise from anything else. I just else. closed the tab. Um, get, get it back up and find it. But her name. she was also, like, incredible. Clara Bravo. Yeah, Clara Bravo. She was incredible keeping up with Tom Holland as well, like in terms of obviously his his acting and how he carries like this this role change throughout. I honestly really really I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it is a totally underrated film. Yeah, I think it just deserves better. Okay. Considering it's got a budget of thirty to forty million, you know, it's uh it's not, not gonna budget. be Aven- <laughs> it's not gonna be a Avengers Endgame, but it's a damn damn good uh, movie to have come out recently so fair enough yeah. anything else that you've been watching i am on the final season of vikings so i'm getting there it's nearly okay. done i'm Are trying... you enjoying it still uh i am actually quite enjoying it yeah i think now that i'm watching it and i'm reflecting on everything else that's happened in happened throughout it's a bit like yeah okay it's just kind of like jumping from one one thing to the next but I can feel that it's coming to its like end now, which is nice. Did it? Did it keep escalating? Do we get like a, a third and final act? Like, obviously, like it builds up. And spoiler alert for what five years ago, Ragnar Lothbrok obviously died. Yeah, and like that surprised me that it was carrying on after his death. But that sort of built up. Does it feel like a nice consistent arc since then? All right. So when did you start watching it? halfway through the season after Ragnar died, so season four or five. Okay, fair, yeah. Uh, I would 100% say that it does. Like, the stakes get bigger, and it becomes less about, like, this whole travelling to England thing. It does then start to focus more on, like, the conflicts within the family. 
between okay. like Ivar and and the rest of them. Yeah, um, the I action, remember that yeah. building when I was watching. There's action. There's an action scene that I've just seen actually that was incredible. Like the actual combat parts are are amazing as well. Um, yeah, what I remember seeing in the trailers like the big like like battles seem to be getting bigger in it from what we had in the oh, earlier yeah. seasons. Yeah, the stakes are definitely bigger anyway, put it that way. Um, just a quick Ooh. one, just to jump back to Cherry. It's interesting that it's scoring so low on Rotten Tomatoes, IndieWire, and IMDb. But on Google audience ratings, it's actually 4.6 out of 5. That's what I was saying. It's 93% or 4.6. Yeah. And also, it's uh, based on a true story as well. It's based on a, an mm-hmm. auto-fiction of a yeah. military vet so there you go yeah i remember hearing that it was based off a book um that somebody had written i feel like google reviews they're always either five star or one star have yeah. you noticed that like yeah, i yeah. never see anybody putting two to four yeah it's I always f- five stars or one star so i feel like that kind of skews like their review score a bit <laughs> i think it's quite nice because i think it gives you an idea of like a general viewer in the way that anyone can go on and leave a google review you know yeah it's I mean? a bit more of a binary response it's like is it good or is it not good yeah so yeah. but i don't think it's definitely like a detailed review no 100 percent, 100 percent. but someone can just have watched it and be like okay this is what i thought of it put it on and then you know, it gives you mm-hmm. an idea. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, right, uh, news and trailers. Okay. We've got one mm. big news story, first of all, is that the Oscar nominations have come out. We should probably talk about that. Yeah, we'll do that up top so that we don't okay. we don't forget about it. So, uh, where yeah. do we want to start? Uh, well, we've picked a just the main, the main couple of nominations because uh, we normally, if you've listened to this podcast in the past, <laughs> uh, and we and we learn, we learn, that usually we spend like forever talking about nominations and we go through everything and then we just decide that, oh, you know, we actually haven't seen half of these films because we're terrible. (laughs) Um, There's not enough time in the day. Exactly. We don't know what's going to get nominated until they get nominated, so it's hard to try and figure out what to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this is basically uh, the Oscars are on the April 25th of April. Yeah. And we have talking about Best Picture. So the nominations that we've had for Best Picture, uh, which is the big award, really, is The Father, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, uh, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. I've got a feeling Nomadland, uh, Nomadland is going to win this. This seems to be a lot of people's pick for Best mi- uh, Picture. I've not really heard of what Promising I've seen. Young Woman. Carrie Mulligan is in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. Um, she's basically had bad run-ins with men in the past, so she's sort of like going out on a vengeance path, but it's sort of her growing and dealing with trauma and stuff like that, which seems okay. really cool. Um, I was surprised when I started to see it up for a lot of pictures because it started to get a bit of backlash, and then it, it wasn't getting backlash, it was getting praised and stuff like that, so... Mm. I'm surprised by that, but fair play to it. It does make me want to watch it a lot more now that it's getting some praise. Yeah, I think it's one of them. I think when you get the Best Picture nominations come out, I think it gives you a bit of a a kick to be like, right, I really need to watch these films and check them out. Yeah, like, well, we've I mean, got a little over a month as of the time of recording this, so I'm definitely going to try and watch the rest of these because a lot of them were on my list anyway of things to watch. Yeah, we've also got a lot to watch. So, I mean, well... There was three things this week, wasn't there, that we talked about last week. We had Cherry, 
We have mm-hmm. the Snyder Cut, and then we have also Falcon and Winter Soldiers come out, which we will be doing an episode on uh, a first impressions, maybe, depending yep. on how many episodes are going to be coming out and deciding what we want to do. Yeah, uh, I think this probably gives us a good list of stuff to be list- uh, to be watching and talking about as we lead up to the Oscars event. Definitely. So, uh, I what mean, are you most excited on, to watch on that list? Probably Judas and the Black Messiah. I've seen Sound of Metal in Trial of Chicago 7 already. Yeah. Probably Minari or Judas and the Black Messiah. I think Minari is probably my my go-to at the moment. But on my list, I think I sat down and I was like, I'm going to watch Minari or... What did I say I've watched? Uh, Sound of Metal. And I ended up yeah. just watching Minari. But I know Judas and the Black Messiah is really heavily... You know, it's doing really, really well. Done really yeah. well, so... Definitely, and that ties into Trial of Chicago 7 as well. So, mm-hmm. should we go on to directing next? So, directing, we have Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. I've not even heard of that film. We've got David Fincher for Mank. We've got Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. We've got Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. I so... think Chloe Zhao's got that one in the bag. So another round is um, Danish director, uh, and it's got Mads Mikkelsen in it as well. Uh, four high school high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. Oh yeah, I've seen the trailer for this now. I just yeah. didn't, I've completely forgot the name. It's quite an interesting one. Just watching Mads Mikkelsen get drunk all the time. <laughs> he's been in too many bloody heineken adverts or whatever it is is it carlsberg what what adverts what beer does he promote <laughs> who knows i only know which one Klopp promotes and that's that um cronenberg yeah i think this film was also called drunk at the um cans festival and i think okay. it's, it's also now been called another round probably yeah, because you maybe. can't call it drunk in some countries probably like I said, probably Chloe Zhao's got this for Nomadland. This seems to be the one with the biggest buzz around directing. David Fincher's obviously got his own style all the time. That's why I think it's going to win anyway. Has Nomadland actually come out in the UK yet? No, it comes um, out towards the... It comes out in a few days, right? Yeah, I think so. Things get delayed over here, unfortunately. And obviously, cinemas are shut over here, so that's why as well. But yeah. I think we might be able to watch it online somewhere. I think you might be able to... I think it's launching on one of the streaming services if you pay for it. Actor in a leading role we'll go to next. Nominees are Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yeun for Minari. Chadwick Boseman, um, the late Chadwick Boseman, won the award at the Golden Globes, didn't he? Yeah, and we haven't talked about it yet. No, but do you reckon it's something that he could take this as well? They might do to honour his career, you know, almost like an in memoriam, like, honour his career. We'll we'll give it for this film, but other things that he's done as well. He was absolutely fantastic in that film. I'm glad to see him and Viola Davis getting recognition for that film. Because I watched it and I was like, these two are phenomenal in this film, but I don't think the film's going to get 
as much buzz around it as Fences did because I think Fences was up for like best picture and stuff as well and best directing. So when I saw this, I was like, I don't think the film's going to get as much buzz, but I hope these two get it because he was phenomenal. There was a scene where he's just having a monologue and it did bring me to tears. And I don't know if I was crying more for the character because it was an emotional hit or for the fact that we can't see Chadwick Boseman acting anything else. It, what a performance to go out on, honestly. So I think he has got a chance, but I haven't seen the other films that are on these actors are listed from. See, there's a lot of there's a lot of hype at the moment around Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal. A lot of people watching that film now and saying how like amazing he is in it, and I get it, totally get it. Especially after all you've seen him in is things like um, Venom and Rogue One, you know. <laughs> Like and, and four lions and four lions. <laughs> Why wasn't he nominated for four lions? <laughs> and this just sits him. This like shows him as an actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is like a real role that he like commits to, and he does do an incredible job. And mm-hmm. it, it would be good for him to win it. I think he's probably got a good chance based off what I've seen. Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins are kind of a bit seasoned now. So I'd, yeah. I'd like to see someone like Stephen Yeun, uh, Riz Ahmed take it, to be honest. I would love to see Stephen Yeun's career if he does win it. Yeah, I think his career stands the most to gain from winning it. Riz Ahmed still gets good roles. He's done plenty of other stuff other than the stuff that we named, obviously. Mm. Um, and he's done amazingly in them. Like he was in Nightcrawler as well as supporting actor. He has led TV shows and he's led... Yeah, He went through a phase before doing Sound of Metal of doing a lot of, like, you know, big-budget TV shows and limited yeah. series. But he, I think he's just put out an album as well. I think he released one two years ago and maybe he's released another one this year or oh, end right. of last year. Riz Ahmed's doing so much stuff. So I think Stephen Yeun's career has the most to gain from winning it. Like you said, Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman... They're always fantastic actors, so you know what they bring into the table. I don't think that should discount them if their performances were completely outstanding in these. But I think Anthony Hopkins was nominated a couple of years ago for the two pre uh, the two popes, wasn't he? Which nobody saw, and then like when I did watch bits from it, I was like, yeah, he is a great actor in it, but I don't think he was better than all the other stuff that won last year. Yeah. So I mean, to be fair, Stephen Yeun has oh, throughout 2017 upwards to 2021 he's been nominated and won a lot of awards when you look at his work to be fair has he yeah for his film that he was in called burning and minari he's like you're talking uh around about 20 awards nominated each so yeah he's um yeah yeah i think even if he's if he's not if he doesn't win it i think minari's done uh, and obviously his previous film has has smashed it for him because in Burning he got a lot of awards for best supporting actor. Where for this, obviously, he's winning. You know, he's getting nominated for his um, for the uh, best actor instead. Uh, in the I... Screen Actors Guild Awards, he's been um, he's pending for best outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role and best outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture for Minari. So, wow. Yeah, fair enough. I I would love to see Stephen Yeun or Chadwick Boseman win this, personally. I'll probably add Riz Ahmed to that list once I watch Sound of Metal. But yeah, they're my two frontrunners at the moment for that one. Should we go on to lead in actress? Yeah, sure, have you got the list? So. Also, oh, yeah, I've still got the list. Also, I just want to mention as well, that is three actors of colour in 
actors in a leading role, which is a huge shift from a couple of years ago, the whole Oscars so white controversy. Yeah. So finally yeah. people are getting recognition. I think the fact that we didn't have as many films come out as well, that these actors fully shine through. They weren't getting lost in like the sound of metal. Um, like, so they've just been able to shine, which I'm so thankful for. Um, and also actor in a supporting role. I'm not going to go through it, but we've got three actors of color in that as well. So yeah, it's a better year for the Oscars. Actress in a leading role. Then nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's black bottom, Andrea day for the United States versus by Billy holiday stumbling mm-hmm. over my words. We've got Vanessa Kirby, for Pieces of a Woman, we got Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and we got Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. I think, again, Frank Frances McDormand might get this for Nomadland. This is the one film that I'm seeing pushed more than anything for the awards this year, and especially Frances McDormand for Leading Actress, which she's won before for Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, I yep. believe. I'm really excited to see Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman. I, I, I think... I said when I saw the trailer for this and we talked about the trailer that it looks like they were going for awards because they were releasing it in cinemas as well. So I'm glad to see that she's getting an award as well. Yeah, Viola Davis could definitely take this. I think she was great in it. I don't think it's 100% set on that. I think she might be like a close second to maybe Frances McDormand. Probably, yeah, absolutely. Based on what I've not seen the film, but based on what you've said of it, I'm definitely going to try and watch Nomadland and Sound of Metal probably this week and then maybe Mank the week after because Mank's on Netflix, so... Yeah, I, I kind of need to watch everything on this on this list, to be honest with you. I really do. Mm-hmm. What's the other story we've got? I see you think you had another little bit of news. A couple of little bits to run through. Super quick one, Venom 2 has been delayed to September. We still haven't had a trailer for this yet. No, um, we haven't got we, a crazy orange hair Woody Harrelson yet. No, September 17th it's currently scheduled at. Uh, last thing we knew, it had been set to come out on June 25th, 2021. Uh, but that was a while ago that they set that, and obviously things aren't running smoothly yet, so that's not happened. Um, toys spoil everything, by the way, guys, if you didn't know. Um, oh, yeah. I'll the same way the it spoiled... Yeah, the same way it spoiled White Vision and stuff like that. Um, Mecha Godzilla's design has been leaked. Brilliant. I mean, you by could tell Funko from the Pops first, and other toys a while ago, you could literally tell from the first shot that that is gotta be. I mean, watch the film come out now and that not be Mecha Godzilla in that first shot in the trailer. Watch it be normal <laughs> Godzilla. But it is. Yeah, we all knew it. We all knew it was coming. Yeah, it is a bit annoying that toys spoil everything. Yeah, the design looks pretty cool. To be fair, it looks like I'm looking at a Funko Pop version. So obviously, like proportions are warped on it and stuff like that um but we saw um i think hasbro toys or something a while ago spoil it as well um yeah i think the design looks super cool it looks definitely like a blocky version of the previous godzilla yeah i like how the funko pop collection of this film is literally Godzilla 10-inch, Kong 10-inch, Godzilla, Heat Ray Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, Battle Ready Kong, <laughs> Kong with Battle Axe, Battle Scar Kong. It's like different variations. I mean, you're not going to buy anything else other than them, but... No. Yeah, I would love to get a version of Kong with the Battle Axe. That would be cool. Yeah. Also, we did have some uh, um, high-res images released from it as well, which is just showing how like beautiful the colours are. Uh, we got a lot of shots from, you know, the Godzilla vs. Kong fight in, like, Neo-Tokyo sort of uh, yeah. setting. 
Yeah, yeah. And you've got like Godzilla just glowing blue, and you've got all the neon lights around him and shit like that. It's going to be a gorgeous film to look at, and hopefully, we're going to be able to see what happens in it. It's hopefully going to look a lot more like Pacific Rim One rather than Gods and Monsters because you couldn't fucking see what happened in most of that film. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprisingly excited about this film. To be honest, yeah. like as far as the previous Godzilla and Kong films that were okay like they were they were good they were fine you know what i mean mm-hmm. but like this is i think it's probably because it's had a lot of anticipation and build up towards it it's yeah, a, it's a it, shame they spoiled mechagodzilla because that would have been a cool reveal <laughs> totally but, spoil everything yeah. if there's two things you can be certain of if there's a triple a blockbuster coming out the toys will spoil everything and if there's a disney film the parents will be dead <laughs> there's a hot hot top tip for you for, uh, from chris himself yeah parents the two rules to go by don't let your kids watch uh disney films because uh they'll 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 just see you dying in your eyes <laughs> is there anything in the way of trailers or have you got any more news bits okay it's yeah only dead so... quick. it's only dead quick but the gray man started filming i think it's probably worth a mention up top it's the next russo brothers film it's got chris evans ryan gosling the guy from bridgerton job done it's filming you'll probably see behind the scenes footage or shots uh next story true tell edge four started filming his scenes for dot strange 2 um as baron mordo yeah. and then finally trailers We'll hop onto trailers. We got. Uh, I've got to talk about this one because it has some news attached to it as well. We got a trailer finally for the English subbed version of Demon Slayer. It's coming to the US and Europe as well. So it's releasing in cinemas um, on April twenty third. So the reason people are thinking they're airing it in certain cinemas is they're pushing for maybe an award season next year. Because mm. um, this is like the highest grossing movie in Japan, like we've said, and apparently the animation is absolutely stunning on it. Um, but it's also going to be R-rated in the US, which is pretty pretty cool for violence and bloody images, which we love to see. But it will be launching on streaming services on... I had it a second ago. June 22nd, it's coming to streaming services. Uh, I think it's coming to Apple TV and Amazon Prime. Are the two places that we can get it in the UK. That's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a paid, a paid premiere on Amazon Prime as well. Um, and then second trailer we've got is one for, for, called Concrete Cowboy, uh, which is dropping on Netflix on April 2nd. This is Idris Elba and Caleb no. McLaughlin. Okay. Caleb McLaughlin. Uh, this is about... Have you, have you heard anything about this? The Philadelphia uh, Black Cowboys... Uh, like I, that's not the name of them, but there's no, like I've, I've uh, not heard anything to do with there's it. There's a group in Philadelphia which are in like a rundown suburban area of Philadelphia who are cowboys. I remember hearing out of them. I think it was two years ago or something. They were in a Levi's advert, um, and sort of like that was when everyone found out this was even a thing. So this is set in their community, and it's a father and son tale between Caleb McLaughlin and Idris Elba. Um, yeah, sent to live with his estranged father for the summer rebellious team finds kinship and tight-knit Philadelphia community of the Black Cowboys. So this looks like a heartwarming film that I'm probably going to bore my eyes out because of personal reasons. <laughs> this It just looked like a good film. It comes out on April 2nd. 
Idris Elba's amazing in everything. Caleb yeah. McLaughlin finally getting a chance to lead in a film. So, cool. 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 It's on 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's a lot better than Cherry, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Apparently. Uh, right, is that yeah. it? Yeah. So, <laughs> how are we going to navigate this then, mate? Should what? we start off with our overall thoughts? Yeah. Should we do overall thoughts? And then thoughts? we can go into, like, little bits here and there. Oh, one of the news story that I completely forgot. Jim Carrey might be playing the villain in Deadpool 3. I completely forgot about it. <laughs> okay, great. Who do you reckon he might be playing? No idea, but I could, I would love to see Jim Carrey and Ryan Reynolds in a film together. Wouldn't it be great if he was playing a multiverse version of Deadpool that he had to fight? I literally was about to say that. <laughs> How funny would that be? If he was Just like those two quipping Deadpool. away. Yeah, that would be There's, there's got to be a joke in there to him playing... Um, to him playing the Riddler. Like, oh, we had yeah. the joke at the end of Deadpool 2 of him killing Ryan Reynolds before he played Green Lantern. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's move on. So, yeah, Snyder Cut. We will time code all this in. So we're going to talk non-spoilers around the changes, because obviously we know kind of how Justice League ends. Um, however, there are quite a few surprises in this. Um, mm-hmm. We won't spoil those surprises. Uh, but we will. I'll time code it where we talk about them in case you've not seen it yet. Yeah. Now to pre-warn you all, this film was four hours, so <laughs> probably I aged. I I visibly aged watching this film. <laughs> okay. Um. Go ahead. Give me your first thoughts on this. Okay. Overall. So much better than the theatrical cut. Yeah. I think it's not it's not controversial to say that. It's not difficult to say that. It just was better. Things make sense in it. Things look a lot better in it. Things just work better. Characters aren't just forgotten about throughout this film. Um visually, like some like shots you're like, why was that left on the co- cutting room floor? Like my first notes are like cool intro and then stunning establishing shots the camera angles and visuals that are used in it are just so much better we didn't get as much of certain characters in it as i thought we were going to which kind of worked better for the plot i think there's actual stakes in this film like i said because things are actually explained there's actual stakes uh there's a couple little fake outs in there which work better in the long run yeah. yeah, I just liked the characters a lot more in this. They actually gelled as a team, I think, by the end of it. What cool. do you think? I'm trying not to get into too many spoilers right now. Yeah, I'll just give my sure. brief overview. I wanted to let you finish your overview before I like start saying, yeah, I agree, and da-da-da-da. So, <laughs> cool. Uh, pretty much along the same wavelength, to be absolutely honest. It's, I noticed by the first half an hour in that it gives itself a lot more time to breathe. Now, yeah. part of that is obviously because we're getting the uncut Snyder vision um, of four hours. I'll just uh, hammer that home. But again, it's very, very, very Zack Snyder. So you've got to know the director to, I think, properly appreciate this as well. I think mm-hmm. if you go in as someone who's expecting um, the Avengers or... Uh, Captain America Civil War or something like that, that's still not what this is. Like, do not expect... Like, this is the opposite, the polar opposite of the Avengers, but still being a hero team-up. 
Um, and if you can appreciate Zack Snyder's cin- cinematography style, then you you know what you're getting in for. And a lot of this film really, really embraces that. It embraces a lot of the slow-mo, the beautiful establishing shots, the beautiful storytelling, to be honest, as well. And I think kind of that might be Zack Snyder's thing. I think he needs long-form stuff to really tell his story properly. And that's probably a a discussion we'll get into later. But every short Zack Snyder film does tend to suffer a little bit and then you get the extended like like we were talking about with um the ultimate edition of batman versus superman and it just fleshes out a lot of the writing choices that are made and it makes more sense so obviously this being a longer story that it absolutely makes more sense there were some weird bits with this that we'll talk about um like weird strange choices uh but which i understand but i, I think it's probably just a little bit artsy but yeah as a whole visually stunning the story makes a million more sense the stakes like you've said and in terms of how it sets up characters and just how it changes the narrative of the original justice league story to something where you feel a lot more invested as much as where you feel more invested in the villain this time round, which mm-hmm. was a big surprise for me um I think it's uh, I think it's a hundred percent an improvement on the I think it's a it in its itself it's a whole different film. The action it's it's the, it's a different film with the same set pieces. Um, it was I yeah. think it was good enough, like you said, like like the villain's more investing, there's more stakes and everything, like you kind of know the basic beats going into it, but like it was changed in such a way that I still think I felt tense at the end. And like, I f- still felt like there was stakes at the end. Yeah, and like, it, and it the, made you give a shit about the characters towards the end of the film. Yeah, and th- you've probably seen online already if you keep up with this sort of stuff that this film leaves on a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, probably. There's a lot of unanswered questions that we'll probably never get answers to. But it's a shame that this wasn't the trilogy that it should have been you know because originally the justice league was meant to be three films wasn't it yeah and this was like probably i'd say this would have been the trilogy or maybe this would have been two films i've got some news on that actually (laughs) oh okay i think this would have been the best part of either two films or his entire trilogy um that's just like missing a lot of bits in between maybe if you get me, yeah. like I th- like I feel like it's, and I know a lot of people are probably gonna get offended at first, but hear me out. But I think it has like very similar beats to like Lord of the Rings, where you've got this big story which has got a beginning of the journey and the end of the journey, and it needs to be long to tell it properly in the way that he wants to tell it. Because it's, it's not so sim- weird that you've said that. Because in my notes, like for a different reason, I've got major Lord of the Rings vibes. <laughs> yeah, I think I probably got that like earlier on when it was exploring yeah. like the Amazonian stuff. Just because that's where set. I've got it. Yeah, but it does give you a lot of those vibes in terms of like, like a lot of the, like the music and stuff and the way it's very much kind of Peter Jackson esque, but like old Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I said, that might offend some people, but sorry, I like that's how I, me and Chris feel about it. But I yeah, think, the yeah. bit on Themyscira was giving me major Lord of the Rings vibes. Like you said, like the music, like the shots, like certain 
beats within it felt very sort of like Lord of the Rings, like Return of the King. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's that's my long-winded um, thought on the film. Um, and now we should probably talk about some more bits before we get into actually spoiling parts of the story that were cool. Yeah, so I'll quickly say that yeah, I said I've got some news about this. Zack Snyder said in interviews, obviously, he's been doing a lot of press for this. Um, he's talking about what his Justice League 3 would have been. So that makes me feel that this like, was 1 and 2. Yeah, because originally, do you remember when it was first announced, we originally had Justice League and Justice League Part 2 were put on the slate, and he said he was going to film both back-to-back before things started to get interfered with too much. And that probably makes a lot of sense, because... Yeah, because the film's about four hours, you have two hours of film, kind of, yeah. So it probably yeah. makes about, about right. So I think this was his vision for sort of the first two films sort of melded together. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think there was, like, a point in the middle of this film where you could have split it up into two films because the first one would have been maybe a little bit uninteresting. Like, it wouldn't have had a resolution to it. Yeah. So I think this was sort of like an amalgamation of his... Once they told him, you're not getting a part two, we're just doing a part one, and then we'll see how that goes, and then you could do Justice League 2. So yeah. he sort of crushed the story into sort of like one... I know it's the length of two films, but it it's not two films worth of story. No. So that's what I think. So he's been talking about the fact that Justice League 3 would have been a full new Gods Invasion movie, which... Bruh. <laughs> We've yeah. seen a lot of people petitioning online now to restore the Snyderverse and like get him back to do more stuff and like tie the other films back into this version of Justice League. Um Oof. To be honest, if they are gonna go forward with the franchise and go forward with more team up properties and especially like uh Flashpoint and stuff like that, I think they are better off linking it to this version and making this the canon version. Yeah, because this is the thing now. It's like when we, like, I was thinking throughout this, like, where is this sitting in terms of, like, Aquaman? And, like, because I couldn't quite remember with that where Aquaman sits in the Justice League story. This is the one part that doesn't make, uh, like, quick spoilers. It's not spoilers at all, really. Like, it doesn't influence the story at all. But this breaks continuity with aquaman because he goes to visit king atlan's tomb and where you know the three-pronged trident is in the armor mm. and he has that meeting with vulco yeah. but in aquaman that he had to go through the mariana trench and everything gets sucked through a wormhole into the center of the earth and that's where he found king atlan's tomb with the leviathan voiced by uh, mary poppins oh, so yeah. This actually breaks continuity with that slightly, but you could kind of like forget about that because it was like such a small thing. You could be like, "Oh no, that maybe was a fake tomb. <laughs> maybe it was just a memorial to him." You know, maybe that yeah, wasn't maybe actually his trident. It it was fake armor on the floor, and it was a fake trident covered in <laughs> stone and moss because it was it, like it wasn't like the glowing like golden trident. That was no. the one bit that didn't line up, and I was like, okay. Clearly, he did this before Aquaman was made. So, because this version of the film didn't go out, that's why James Wan was able to go with the flow with his own thing. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah that make that explains that a lot more because I'm glad that I wasn't just the only one being quite confused by that. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that had lost me when it got to that point. I was like, I'm a bit confused now, timeline wise, what's actually happening in this. Yeah, but, yeah, no, that makes sense now. But um, yeah, um, it's mad to think how much stuff was actually missing from this like to like there was big things like really big things like things that were actually shot like right at the beginning there's a bit where bruce wayne gets off a gets off a chopper on an airfield and then gets into like an ac-130 super jet (laughs) and i'm like ac-130 above i was like they've shot that (laughs) and that's just like totally imagine the amount of budget that they wasted on it yeah because the interior shots like we had some interior shots on a different plane that joss whedon clearly shot so they just yeah like you said the budget yeah like because you're because you're you're thinking about it like that right you're all the way through you're like thinking about um stuff like oh this was caught and that's different and this is different why was that caught Hmm, why was that changed like yeah trying to think of the reasoning behind it and stuff like you're not going to get budget back if you cut something from a film no no that's it that's gone anyway like you just wasted it um let's talk about the aspect ratio that's a big thing at the minute that's my second note why four by three i don't quite understand the choice so the reason for four by three is apparently it translates to imax better so it's what they use when they send it to IMAX screens because IMAX screens are like more um, square than what they are widescreen. The closer to being like that's that how you see it. But I was thinking, okay, that makes sense. It means that we see more in the shots, right? If that's how it was originally done, rather than it being cut down to widescreen. But then I'm looking at some of the shots and the establishing shots and stuff, and I'm thinking this wouldn't make any sense if it was cut down. It'd be too close. Yeah. Yeah, so IMAX is it's the same ratio as widescreen, but without the black bars at the top and bottom. Yeah. So this is missing the black bars at the top and bottom, basically. It's got them at the left and right, but no, there were certain no, this scenes in this thing. that I was like, we're missing half the shot here. Like, the establishing shot in London, we were missing half the shot there. The, the one bit that I really noticed it on, I was like, I feel like we're losing a bit from the scene, was when... You know Martha Kent when she gets in the truck to like leave Kent Farms. Yeah, well, this is the weird thing is is that this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about the aspect ratio. I was thinking, well, have they shot it in four by three, and you're just missing the black bars, or have they shot it regularly in wide widescreen or what have you? Well, they shot it on IMAX cameras. Well, that would mean that. I mean, if you if anyone knows the answer, please like tweet at us and let us know, or comment on the Instagram post or whatever. Email us at getrealpod and uh, getrealpoduk at gmail dot com. Nice. Uh, like, please let us know. But in theory, this would mean that we've not had black bars added at the side. It's just not been cropped by adding them at the top and bottom. Because if it's shot on IMAX cameras... It definitely has been, because we've had certain shots in there where it's like, it's the exact same framing, only it's losing like the left and right of the thing. So it was definitely done in post. I get what you're saying, but if it was shot on IMAX cameras, then it would be the opposite. If you, like, like, coming out of how I think it looked originally, 
if it's if if it's intended to look if it's intended to look like it was shot on an IMAX camera, then that's how it looked. You get what I mean? So it's like I don't know. It's in my no, head. It, it, in my head, it doesn't make sense. It, it like because why then would it be his cinematic vision to crop it out? Surely is his cinematic vision, and that's why they did it. His creative think, choice would be to not have it and to have more on the screen, right? Yeah, I think he's chosen to have less on the screen to make you focus on the things that maybe are on the screen. It's it's like with the lighthouse that is a choice because they want it to look like an old black and white, almost silent film. And I think, because we know we're getting a black and white version of this as well, I think it was an artistic choice. And like, the contrast was super high on this film as well, which is like classic 4x4, uh, 4x3 like videotapes and stuff like that. I think he was trying to go for like a nostalgic look. I think he was trying to subliminally make people feel nostalgic for this film. Hmm. Um, I think that's what it was. I think whoever said that it translates to IMAX better is shooting out the fucking ass because IMAX is super widescreen, and this has definitely been done in post because you could see the effects, like the, the intro shots. You know where Bruce is going to meet Arthur, so mm. he doesn't just show up at the village in this version of the film. We see him fucking trekking throughout like Iceland or Norway or wherever it is. And it's goddamn beautiful. And that didn't lose anything from being in 4x3. Um, but you you could see on the edges, because obviously there's a lot of stark whites and stark blacks with like the mountains and snow and stuff. You could see like on the edges like the effect of it being cropped into 4x3. Yeah. So he's clearly done it on purpose. I, I don't think know. we need to find some side-by-side shots uh, or like of, of you know, like... This scene in the Snyder Cut, this scene in Justice oh, League. Oh, I, I can see it in my head, though. The, like I was saying, the scene in the cornfields where he's with um, with Lois and uh, Martha Kent, that in the IMAX version that we saw on premiere day was, like, huge. And, like, they were small in the middle, whereas this was cropped in. Like, so we know it's shot in widescreen, and they've just put black bars over the sides of it. I get what you're saying, but I need to see it rather than trying to base it off <laughs> yeah. memory. Because I would hate to say that we said we'd said it's shooting out their ass to be completely wrong. You get what <laughs> I mean? So it's yeah. uh, it was definitely shot on IMAX though, because I remember that coming out when they were filming it. They were shooting it almost entirely on IMAX. It was going to yeah. be this huge epic spectacle. I think it's just an artistic choice to make you like feel nostalgic because four by three is what our generation grew up with well it's, um, uh, it's a full frame look um oh okay yeah so here you go um we know that while the early reports said the film itself will utilize a 61.66 um we know that the Snyder shot the film specifically for a full frame look in one uh 1.3 3.1 um the aspect ratio is similar to that of imax screens there you go that's the second that's the second source i've seen say it so right. must be that's how my imax screens must be they're definitely not square though the rectangle like they're, 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 just... they're more the more square than what they are wide i'm pretty certain when we go into our imax screen and then it like it has the imax thing come on that it's like it goes and then it's like it's it like goes up it you don't get the black bars at the top and bottom it's a no, big yeah, big, yeah, big yeah. screen it's a massive screen 
And yeah, I, if think, you imagine... I think there's still definitely been cropping on it, though. But maybe it's not as much as I'm thinking in my head. But yeah, it, well, it well, definitely wasn't shot in 4x3 for 4x3. Yeah. Well, that we'll see. That we'll anyway. See. Uh, yeah. Right. What, so... what did you think of it, like, visually then? Do you think it looked better in 4x3? Uh, I, I've, to be honest with you, after I got used to it, I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. Like, I think certain parts worked better in 4x3 because you were able to focus your attention, but I think other shots kind of lost it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, some of the shots in this, like we were saying, why are things left on the cutting room floor? That establishing shot of Wonder Woman in London from the first scene, like, she's saving, um, there's a terrorist attack in London, isn't there? And this was in the theatrical cut as well, so it's not spoilers. But in that, it just, like, pans up to the statue and she's just stood there. In this, it does this gorgeous, like, sweep in, flip over the statue down and round, and, like, she appears in that time and there's a little, like, swooshing sound effect where you can tell she's landing on it. And, like, it pans up and it's such a better shot yeah. rather than just cut to her standing on top of a statue and you're like, what was she doing in London? Yeah, it... it- <laughs> a lot of those little things make it so much better. Yeah. 100%. And like shots like that don't feel Zack Snydery to me. So I I know you were saying earlier that like there's a lot and there is so much Zack Snyder all over this, but it felt like Zack Snyder but with a bit more love and attention. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You could tell that he proper enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's got Zack Snyder all over it in certain things, especially the slow-mo and stuff like that. I even wrote at one point, bit too much slow-mo in that scene. Yeah. Um, like, there were certain points where there was a bit too much slow-mo. Um, but well, that's his style. Like just, that's, that's him, though. That's, exactly that's what I mean. Like, that's when it comes to him. Like, I think a regular viewer would see it and think, oh, there's way too much slow-mo in this. But if you know it's a Zack Snyder flick, you, you expect it. And suppose yeah. in some moments, it super benefits from it. Definitely. I think it was so Zack Snydery, but like on another level, like it was Zack Snyder, but it was gorgeous at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like there were certain shots in this, I was just there, like that is something that Zack Snyder would never have done in his previous films, and it looks all the better for it. And the pacing, because it wasn't just breakneck pace all the time and stuff like that, like we said, it was a slower pace. It breathed like. I felt like I would have liked to watch this in three parts or something, maybe. Mm-hmm. So we know the film split up into six parts, include five, including an epilogue. Like if I watched like two parts at a time, it would have made like an amazing miniseries or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I kept having to pause to take pee breaks anyway, so it kind of was a miniseries for me. That was just binging in one. Well, go. That was the thing; it was meant to come out as I think the news of it being in six parts was like predetermined as it coming out as like out as a mini series if you get me yeah but yeah i think i would have still enjoyed it in six parts even if it wasn't in yeah one it big felt part. like you were just binging a series in one go didn't it like mm-hmm. and i think that helped the flow of it even though it was slower and it was four hours long the pacing didn't feel like an issue in it no um somehow like that the editing was kind of genius to make it that it didn't feel like pacing issues in a four-hour film yeah yeah for sure um i think one of the last things i want to talk about before we can start really getting into spoiler territory with this is um obviously there's a few f-bombs 
right? There's a bit of... Yep. <laughs> it's rated R for a reason. Um, <laughs> that final scene, there was more than just an F-bomb that kind of left me going, wait, what the fuck did they just say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait, wait, Batman, what? <laughs> um, so the other thing I want to talk about is just how much more, without spoiling anything, um, how much more dangerous the villains felt in this versus yeah. how they felt in the original Justice League because there's obviously a massive redesign with Stefan Wolf, right? Yeah. Um, which we can chat about. I mean, first of all, do you prefer this redesign? Definitely. 100%. He didn't, uh, I said to Charlotte because she was like, wait, haven't we seen this film? I was like, yeah, like this was like one of our first dates. We went to the midnight screen of this with you guys. Um, and I was like, yeah, we watched it. But it was a butchered version of it, and she, she was like, "I thought I like recognized parts of it." I was like, "Yeah, but in that version, the villain looked like somebody regurgitated a face." <laughs> and like yeah. this just looks so much better, and his armor looks insane. Yeah, it was. Uh, he just he just felt so much more threatening in this. And his voice was so much better. His first line of the film, I didn't understand what the fuck he said, but after that. I could understand him. I think after your ear like attunes to it a little bit, I think you kind of yeah. get used to it. He looks less like uh, like just a man in armor now. You know what I mean? He looks yeah. more like uh, a, a monster. Where he looks more like what you got at the end of uh, Dawn Justice. You know what I mean? He looks the exact same. Um, yeah. Which I forgot was a thing at the intro of this. Like I, I liked how it tied. Dawn of Justice and Justice League together a lot more right at the beginning. Yeah, um, it still makes me laugh that when I first saw that first look at Steppenwolf in the fields of Themyscira, um, you know that first image we got of him, that HD image which yeah. um, has him, and I was a bit like, mm, he still looks a bit weird. Like he still looks really weird, but in motion he looked so much better. Yeah. Yeah, it looked nothing like Kieran Hines, which is exactly what it had to look like. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't even think the version in Joss Whedon's looked like him. Like, that just looked like, like, Uncanny Valley, it, there's a humanoid face there somewhere. It looks like a like, Pirates of the Caribbean villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alright, yeah. You, you get what I mean, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's something human underneath that cgi there yeah (laughs) whereas this version was just like pure cgi monster and he did he looked like an alien in this instead of a an alien pretending to be human yeah like it did in the theatrical cut yeah that's it he actually one last bit he actually looks exactly like what he looked like at the end of dawn of justice when you watch it back um the bit i was going to talk about as well just i was leading into something is um just the violence, like more, more with stuff that like Steppenwolf was doing, and just like the parademon stuff, just like literally chopping people in half and chopping heads off. Like, yeah, and the gore in it, like he throws a guy against a rock, and the rock is just red at the end of it, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, big brutality in this. Yep. but to be honest with you, like I said, it made him feel more threatening. It he made did. him feel more like a villain. <laughs> yeah. And I like how they they spent time to develop his story as well. Mm-hmm. And that made you... It made more sense about how we got the mother boxes so f- and just 
it just all made more sense. Well, he didn't get them so fast. He didn't just get them all in the first 10 minutes of the film like they did in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Like, it felt like there was actually a chance at any point that he could be slowed down and stopped, and it it made sense why they would then have to, like, stop him at the end instead of... In the theatrical cut, it feels like they were just handed to him. Like, I've got notes saying, like, it actually made the Amazons feel competent. And it made yeah. it, it just made him seem more sinister because they felt more competent in fighting him, yeah. Which made him seem even more threatening. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bit like it plays through. Like, obviously, if you've seen the original Justice League, you'll know the bit where he gets the mother boxes. But for some reason, and I think that they missed the bit where there's like six of them or seven of them holding him down. Yeah, I don't remember that from the original Justice League. And all the slow, and like while we were talking about slow mo before, all the slow mo in that part really helped. Really, yeah. really helped. The the one bit like I thought when they were in the temple, I thought there was a little bit too much slow mo. Like it took, um, what's the name? Um, I'm forgetting her name. The the one that plays uh, Hippolyta. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wonder made, Woman. Made her what? Made her what? Carry carry something. It like it made her take about ten minutes to get out of the temple, and it kind of. The pacing of her leaving the temple, I think, was ruined, but then the slow-mo outside of the temple worked amazingly. That's mm. the only bit that I said maybe too much slow-mo was inside the temple. Like It felt like like there wasn't any rush to get out there because everything was in slow-mo. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Okay, uh, is there one thing you wanted to talk about before we start? Yeah, I just wanted to say... Specifics? Yeah, I just wanted to like quickly overarching, like, did you enjoy the characters more in this? Because um, I think Cyborg and Flash worked so much better in this film. Yeah, Cyborg. There wasn't that much more with Aquaman, to be honest. No. Um There was a fair bit more with uh, Wonder Woman. But also, these two people have had their own films as well. Let's exactly. just remember that. Um, with Barry Allen and Victor Stone, Cyborg and The Flash, one, I really liked their relationship in this a lot better. Um, yeah. Like at the end there's like a little um fist pump which just lands so much better after watching this film yeah um but yeah i loved i loved the barry allen setting up stuff and i and honestly it 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 just ray fisher was robbed in this film wasn't he just he was absolutely robbed of... He he had probably about a quarter of the screen time, and I think he had about two minutes of it in the Joss Whedon version. And yeah, I honestly think like I, it the difference of how you view the Justice League in this film is insane. Like it's it's mad. Like I think like yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Flash stuff missing as well. Like. Um, just the 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 bit that you've seen probably already with like Iris at the beginning yeah. that we've that's already been out. Um, that bit's amazing. Um, it delves into just Barry's personality a lot more, um, which makes you really excited for this upcoming Flashpoint movie. To be honest, see, um, I wasn't a hundred percent sold on the Flash in the theatrical cut. I remember talking to you about it. Like, I think when we recovered it on when we talked about the DCEU, he felt like an amalgamation between... He had Barry Allen's backstory, but he kind of had the attitude of um, Wally West, but completely incompetent. Whereas in this, he's he's competent. Like, 
Joss Whedon put this whole thing in about like the fact that he's scared to save people and he's scared to actually use his powers and everything like that. And you can't have that for an already established character, and especially not one like The Flash. Like Barry Allen's whole shtick is that he's never been afraid to use his powers because he always wants to get justice. That's why he's trying to get into criminal justice and stuff like that. So it makes no sense that he would be scared to save people from danger. Yeah, and he does. And they cut out so many of his weird lines. Yeah, and they they flexed out. He flexes his powers an awful lot more in this, which is so good. Like it makes the tripping stuff seem more impactful. Like it was just something in the heat of battle. Whereas in the theatrical cut, the first time we see him use his powers, he fucks up and nearly breaks his ankle. Yeah, it shows he's like out of his depth a little bit. At the same uh-huh. time, you know that he's like he's he's just dealt with things like robberies and stuff and nothing crazy like he can save somebody from being killed by in a car crash kind of well speaking of being killed in a car crash victor stone's story is really good <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> um, a segue i hope we never use again no <laughs> jesus <laughs> but yeah i think i think the biggest the biggest takeaway from this is like what they did with cyborg i think that i, I can't say it any clearer than ray fisher was robbed of in some incredible incredible story points but to be honest with you his, his fucking acting was amazing as well delivering yeah. them you could tell that he was like i felt watching him compared to the other actors in it you could tell he was a stage actor because he was he came from doing theater more than anything um mm-hmm. i think he was in hamilton at one point as well before he went to do justice league and started doing more films and stuff and you could tell the way he delivered certain things like when he we got seen sort of like inside his mind almost like they felt like a stage production but it made him sell the emotions really well yeah the original justice league was a batman story which had superman in it and had the other characters in it right where this yeah. is more of a this is a justice league story this is like got equal shares of everybody going on that's what that was one of my notes like it felt like they put batman almost on the back burner which they need to do in a justice league story instead of making it all about batman and he still got his moments to shine in it like that moment with the batmobile was so Mm -hmm. cool and it gave him a moment of heroicism to like celebrate whereas in the um theatrical cut like you said he is the main character in it which we've had so many batman films that we don't need him to be the character the lee's character in a justice league film Use mm-hmm. it to establish the Flash. Um, use it to establish Cyborg. Use it to flesh out Wonder Woman in the modern day more and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like, right? Um, do you want to get into some scene specific stuff now? Yes. So potential spoilers <laughs> up ahead. Um, uh, probably a lot. Probably a lot of spoilers because we need to talk about the ending and other big things that happen in the film. Yeah, so definitely. Probably yeah. from this point, you've probably decided or not from our review whether this is something that you want to go watch. Um, I think we both give it a big recommend. To be honest, definitely. Um, yeah. A big recommend. Go go watch it. Watch it in parts. Watch it in one go. Whenever you see the black screen and then it comes up saying part two, maybe stop it and like write <laughs> down for the time code or you know. <laughs> That may, maybe say that's enough for for today, and maybe watch a little bit later. Um, but definitely take the time to watch it. It's really good, um, and yeah. not potential spoilers, but absolute spoilers ahead. <laughs> yeah. Where shall we? St- 
start spoiler wise. Um, We've already talked a lot about things like how Steppenwolf is a lot more dangerous, um, the blood, the violence, all that sort of things. We already spoke about. Um, I like how the film is more around Bruce's promise to Superman rather than stemming from finding a random parademon in Gotham at the beginning of the film. Yeah. It's more like, about like how he said that he would get these people together and how there is like he feels that based off what Clark said that there's there's a, a coming threat. Um but that just starts to confirm it. It's not like like I'm so glad that that as as good as kind of that parademon scene was like at the beginning, because it was nice to see like Batman like on the rooftop in Gotham. There's a lot of scenes in here that I'm glad to see not in this film. <laughs> That opening scene with Batman, like like you said, like it's kind of cool to see Batman doing stuff, but we know what Batman does. We don't need to see it anymore, and it just kind of it felt like a call to action. Even though at the end of like you said, Dawn of Justice, he had a call to action. Like his call to action was, okay, I can't do things alone anymore. I can't take everything on my own shoulders. I need a team. I need to work with people. Whereas in the the theatrical cut of this. It felt like he was begrudgingly putting together a team, and like he was sort of like sick and tired of everyone's sh- shit until mm. like the final act. Whereas mm. in this, like he felt like he was willing to like take Barry under his wing. He was willing to work with Diana. Um, like he was really pushing to bring the team together instead said, of being like, yeah. oh, for fuck's sake, oh shuck something that I can't do by myself. So I guess I'll help. Yeah, other he seemed out. a lot more modest than this, which was nice. Yeah. and I think it it played better for Ben Affleck's version of the Batman. His older grizzled version of Batman worked better in this film. And and the other and in addition to that, which harmonizes really well, we got a lot more of uh, Jeremy Irons as Alfred in it as well. Thank God. Like I've got a note just there like he's just been the most British man ever in this film. <laughs> that scene where he corrects Diana of how to make God, tea is like tea no you put the water yeah, in yeah. first. Any heathen, right? Anyone listening to this podcast, if you put the goddamn tea bag in with the milk and stew it in milk before you put the water in and then you just take the tea bag straight out, fuck you. <laughs> I was watching yeah, it. I was watching first. that scene. I was just chuckling. I was like, "That's the most British thing I've ever heard in the world." Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> yeah, I I liked how we finally got to see that scene where he works on that car and Superman arrives, and it's just so casual. But it's such a like <laughs> it. It gives you such closure for that scene that you would have seen, you know, like that we saw in the trailer, and we're like, oh. Is it going to be Superman? Is it going to be Green Lantern? Is it going to be, you know, like all that speculation that we had? And then it was just never there. And yeah, it's, you see a character arc for um, Alfred in a way in this film. Like he's sort of like, oh, Bruce is a loner. He doesn't play well with others. We tried to have a Robin. It didn't work. Okay, we're back to just the two of us. He's like, you're not really a people person, are you? And then like he starts to learn that Bruce is changing and then he starts to meet all these different superpowered individuals and he's kind of like, what the fuck's going on to begin with? Yeah. And then by the end of it, when Superman shows up, he's like, okay, I get this now. <laughs> I liked having the bit where he's like, he says, um, hi, this is Alfred. I work for him. Like that was yeah. a really funny little little nod. Yeah, um, I, also... I think he felt more like the Earth One version of Alfred as well. Like Alfred could hold his own. Like if someone broke into that Batcave, Alfred could throw a few punches. Oh yeah, he just picks up that bloody uh, Kryptonian gun and takes him out. Right. <laughs> pew pew. Um, the I liked how they flexed 
his uh, humor a bit more. Like they played on the the fact that he was he was rich. Like there was that joke about the satellites that I found really funny, where it's like yeah. Barry turns around to him and it's like you have a satellite, and he's like I have six. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it made his joke in the Merc about what's your superpower? I'm rich. It made that feel less dumb. Yeah, there was a lot of bits in here that reminds me of the new kind of. You know that new broody comic Batman I think we're having at the minute with like the um the Catwoman arc. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it's all quite broody and dark. I think Yeah, the... broody and dark with this like a simmer of hope. It's not like Batman damned where he's just miserable and you see the outline of his junk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like his whole heart with uh, whole arc with Catwoman is to give him some humility back and bring mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne back instead of just having Batman, and that's how this felt. Like he yeah. felt like just as comfortable being Bruce Wayne as he was with being Batman. Yeah, and I liked how, uh, and that gets me quite excited. To be fair, for the the Matt Reeves version as well, who Matt Reeves, I think he praised um, Snyder's like the, he, he put something about the release today and said how oh, he was like so excited to watch the Snyder version, which was nice. Yeah. Um, Right. It makes me long for a Ben Affleck, Joe Manganiello Batman film. Yeah, which is such a shame because it's like, would we ever get that now? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, this this quite this film leaves this film two percent chance. <laughs> yeah, no, this film leaves so many like, oh, you know what we could have had now in hindsight. Like, if this was the version that we had, we probably would have had, like, watched Justice League Part 2 by now and all this stuff would have been set up and it would be like, you know, we would maybe think, you know, the EU has a chance. Like, Do you think Warner Brothers have learned after this? Well, I'd hope so. Do you so. think they've learned a lesson? <laughs> Do you think there would be uh, an air cut? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't mean that. I think have they learnt to leave directors alone and do what they want to do? Like you've brought you've allowed Zack Snyder to do his thing again, you've brought James Gunn on, like you're bringing auteurs on. Like I don't like to u- throw that word around, but like they are auteurs, like they want to write and direct their own films and do everything to their vision. And do you I think reckon secretly like Warner Brothers weren't expecting this to do well like do you, um, do you, i know there was a lot of people asking for it but do you reckon they were wanting they were expecting this to get slammed by critics maybe a little bit more i think than they was? were hoping it would get slammed by critics more than it is like what what did we read ign have gave it an eight out of ten hmm. <laughs> like that's pretty high for a DC film. Um, yeah. Should we see what the, the scores are for this? Because I haven't checked this actually. Uh, it's pretty high. It's like in the seventy fives on Rotten Tomatoes at the minute. Um, seventy eight on Rotten Tomato, eight point eight on IMDb, ninety four percent Google users. Uh, four point eight yeah. is the Google audience score. Yeah, that's uh, oh, that's good. That's good. 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. Shall we see what the normal Justice League is? Also, yeah, while you're doing that, the music in this was spot on. Junkie like, XL. there were certain yeah. scenes where I was like, fuck it. Rotten Tomatoes, the theatrical cut is on 40%. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And this is on 77. Audience score for Zack Snyder's Justice League with over 5,000 reviews is 97%. 
That is strong. Holy shit. That is strong. Woof. Like, that is kind of crazy. And I'm only going to say this now. I reckon that this Justice League is actually higher at the minute because I reckon there's people that have watched the Snyder Cut and have accidentally reviewed the wrong version. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now. That has probably happened. Um, Right. Like, there's, right, let's let's move on because there is a lot to talk about still. To be honest, I'm looking at the negative reviews on this, and they just seem like people who aren't interested in either DC films or superhero films in general. Anyway. <laughs> Someone's review is DC should change its initials to DGAF. <laughs> Don't give a fuck. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, Brilliant. let's 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 uh, let's not let's not get side. Carry on. Um, let's talk about the flashback scene. And how many bum thrills did you have during that? (laughs) You text me before watching it and you were like, there's so many points in this film where if we were sat next to each other in the cinema, you would be slapping me right now, being like, bro. (laughs) And during that scene in the cinema, I was still doing that to you because it was seeing like Green Lantern and stuff like that. But that scene kind of falls flat with it being Steppenwolf fighting him and stuff. This shit slapped hard, right? Robin Wright is back in there. She's getting some licks in. You've got Carrie, whatever her name is, uh, who plays Hippolyta. She's getting some slaps in. You've got Zeus and Ares called out by name and actually getting some savage hits in. Where Ares nearly decapitates Darkseid. Yes, and also Ares without the helmet looked like the actor from Wonder Woman as well. Yep. That like a, a de-aged sort of like yeah, it looked muscular like, version. Um, what's his What's his name? Um, he's in a lot of stuff. He's in Fargo. David Lewis. There you yeah, go. Um, yeah. It made Ares seem like such a more powerful. Like I was watching that scene and thinking of Wonder Woman. I was like, damn, that makes that last fight slap even harder. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It makes him seem like more of a threat now. Like the fact that he nearly killed Darkseid in that moment, and the amount of blood and viscera that came out in that scene. Fucking Green Lantern gets his hand chopped off, and like he, that Green Lantern did not stand a chance. Like it was ripping ass against Parademons as soon as he came up against Darkseid. Fuck that. Darkseid nearly grabbed the Lantern Ring as well. I know, I know. How cool was it to get a close up on that Lantern? Yeah, we actually saw what he looked like and he actually managed to get some licks in other than just one wide shot of him in the background. Yeah, while we carry on talking about this scene, I'm going to check and see who played Zeus because I don't know why, but the actor I kind of... I recognised him. Yeah. I, th- I feel like he's been in like um, a version of Hercules maybe or maybe he was in Immortals with Henry Cavill or something. Um, oh, he's, he's I think he's like an ex-wrestler. He's literally not been in anything. <laughs> just, you know who it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, one of the guys from the Snowpiercer TV series. The guy who's like big. Uh, he doesn't speak. <laughs> the he's guy that new... doesn't talk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what he's called. Um, but yeah, looked so That epic. scene just hits so much harder. Like, wait, and Wonder Woman has just gone and learned everything that happened. And then she's able to tell you, and things make to make fucking sense. And it sets up Darkseid as a villain. And he just looks so much cooler. The way he lands and just terraforms the Earth into Apocalypse, and he's like, oh shit, anti-life is here, bro. And as soon as we get the drop of the anti-life equation, I was like, (gasps) 
I <laughs> knew you would freak out. And what what a better reason to make Earth feel more important than have yes. the anti life equation there? Like perfect, perfect. It's almost this about film. all the boxes, and then you plant the seed of the anti life, and it's like you know what? It all makes sense. Give me the Justice League Zack Snyder sequel with the new gods invasion that we talked about earlier. <sighs> give me, give me bloody Miracle Man come in. Give well, me do you Mother remember? whatever the fucking name is. Give me like Dark Side versus Superman. Like when uh, when Superman was kicking Steppenwolf's ass, I was like, bro, I want to see him fight Dark Side. Well, you remember that there was a new God Save a Duvernay movie that was meant to be happening. Yep. Uh, you know, was was this being led on from this? And I think that was a prequel. Um, I think that was going to take place on Apocalypse before everyone starts to venture out. Yeah. So that probably would have taken place between the flashback scene and between Justice League starting. Uh, Ray Porter's voice as Darkseid was incredibly good. Really yes. enjoyed that. I was like, who is this voice in this? And then when I saw it, it was like the guy that's in one episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. He's normally a first AD, but you did this voice acting. I was like, damn, that is a voice that. Uh, <laughs> he was probably first AD in on set, and someone was like, yo, this guy's got a cool voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, while we're on the topic of this, let's not, like, we don't need to stay chronological with what happens, but it feels like it would probably be a good point now to talk about the. Uh, when Cyborg's holding the mother box and he has that vision when they're reviving Superman of like everything going wrong, and it has that vision of where Diana's on a on a grate on a on a pyre, and then it has um, it has Aquaman dark, gets killed. Yeah, and you see the Omega dark side beams. kills him. Yeah, you see the Omega beams happen, <laughs> and I was like, literally my. My, I don't think I made any more notes other than fuck <laughs> when I did that. Like that was brutal. Superman holding Lois's mangled, like half melted corpse, oh. and Darkseid like puts his hand on his shoulder, and then we get that's when we get like the shot of the destroyed Hall of Justice with a new alien Green Lantern just in pieces on the floor. <sighs> I was losing my shit. (laughs) Man, it was so good. Like it, it just treated the characters with so much respect. Yeah, and it and it was comic accurate. It was like it was like you know, like if if the world if the world did go to shit, of course a Green Lantern would turn up. You know what I mean, bro? This felt this felt like an event comic in DC. This felt like a final crisis. You know what I mean? Like when yeah, Darkseid finally gets the anti like anti life equation. This felt like like a genuine Justice League book. Like this was an event. Yeah, like it, it went on a journey. It wasn't just cut and dry. Like first act, second act, third act. Like this was a journey. It felt episodic. Yeah, <sighs> and it took elements of things like injustice, which was really good. You know, took elements of uh, oh, let's let's talk about the pregnancy test because we talked about that before the uh, mm. the podcast. Is she pregnant? She's I feel like they would have made pregnant. a. I I think so, but I feel like there would have been maybe she would have spoke to like how long has Superman been dead in this? Because it seemed like he had been dead like a year. 
But yeah. then it was like she couldn't have been pregnant if it was a year, and like she wouldn't have even taken the test. You know what I mean? Well, but, no, it couldn't have been a year because they still had like a cordon around the, um, you know, around parts yeah. of. Like you know, I, I genuinely don't know how long it was been because they still had the setup around the crash ship and stuff as well. Like it was probably about maybe three, four months. But even after four months of pregnancy, she would have been showing. You know what yeah, I mean? It's also a movie, so we can let it. It out. is also a movie, yeah. Uh, it might not have been four months. It might have been a lot less than that. I don't know. It doesn't fully... Ex- I don't think it fully explained how long it had been. I don't think there was a time jump card at the beginning, was there? Maybe no. there was, and we're just forgetting about it because there was so much other stuff. But holy shit, if she is, and we do get a Man of Steel 2, uh, I want to see Superman as a dad so badly. Like We're getting that on the new Superman and Lois Lane TV show, mm. but the Rebirth series of comics was the Superman. Like... I've never been big into reading Superman books because, like, after the nineties and the death of Superman, he was just kind of OP, and I didn't like, I didn't connect with the character at all and stuff. But in the new Rebirth comics, he's so good being a dad to Jonathan Kent, and mm. it just fills my heart with joy. And as soon as I saw that pregnancy test and she went and took it, I was like, "Bro, give me a Henry Cavill." super daddy you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well i actually like it was funny because when that happened i saw her pick up a news pass and i saw the pregnancy test in the background and i thought oh that's really sad because she you know she will probably trying for a kid and what have yeah you. but then i looked away to like make a note on my phone about how i thought it was a bit sad and I heard the bang, and I heard the door close, and I, and I missed the scene, so I had to go back. So thank God I went back and watched it, because otherwise I would have been like, I didn't see her do the pregnancy test, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, she seemed pretty happy. She went and got coffee, and she gave that person the coffee, and then she was like, oh, this is probably talking the Talking about time. that scene, talking about that scene as well. The bit with her and Martha Kent talking in the apartment as well. Oh, we need to talk about that. That gave me so many feels. Like, the way she was just like, come back to the land of the living. And, like, you got to see them actually fucking mourn Clark. And, like, but what they needed that more, scene. What gave you more chills? <laughs> it being Martian Manhunter afterwards. <laughs> Martha Manhunter. <laughs> Martha Manhunter. Bro, Charlotte was looking at me like, what? Like, so she leaves the apartment. And, like, I was like, why are they hanging on this scene? I was like, I thought it was just, like, an emotional thing. Like, Martha was kind of, like, at peace that, like, um, Lois is still, like, in love with him and, like, she's she's going to be okay type thing. But then her eyes started glowing red and I was like, bro, wait, what the fuck is that? And then when it... I was like, we've had... Marsh Manhammer? What? Like, the fact that they actually put him in the film, like, we heard rumours that, like, he was maybe going to be in, but I thought it was just going to be him in his human John Jones form. Nah, bro, we got green head boy, glowy, blue, uh, red eyes. (laughs) But knowing half of this stuff was on, like, the cutting room floor, were any of the actors even happy with this film when it came out? Like... What were they thinking? Like, this was another scene. Like, what were they thinking cutting it out? Yeah. That's it. It's just so bizarre. Like, you've got a whole character there that you just never included. Like, and the fact that he actually called himself Marshman Hunter in the last scene of the film as well. Like, I thought he was going to say, my name's John Jones. Like, mm. I thought that was what he was going to say. But he's like, some people call me Marshman Hunter. I was like, bruh, we get nerdy in the shit. It's not like Marvel where Wanda needs to be in about seven different products and have ten hours worth of TV series behind her before she finally gets called the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's just there like, yeah, people call me Martian Manhunter. 
That's yeah. not my name, but people that's call it. it me. Well, I mean, it treats him with respect, you know? It's like, that's his yeah. name, so we're going to embrace it. And it's the good. CGI on that looked pretty damn good. Like, the CG in this... Oh, bro. Not seeing CGI Superman face. Oh, <laughs> not seeing horrible relief. rubber lip. Ugh. That was a bit of a relief. Um, <laughs> speaking of Superman... Didn't the revival of Superman feel a lot better this time round? Yeah, like and although although a lot of it, I was surprised a lot of it was what it was. To be honest, I'm surprised relatively untouched. Went, yeah, but the the music and the tone of it was completely different. Like, yeah, like there yeah. was actually some sort of remorse, like like when Flash and Cyborg are digging up the body in the Joss Whedon version, it's done as a joke. And that's kind of sick when you think about it. Whereas in this version, like, the whole team was there and it was kind of done with respect. Like, Flash is talking about how Superman was his idol and he's the uh, reason why he goes out and saves people and stuff like that. And it's done with some modicum of respect, the way they all sort of carry the uh, casket in and stuff like that. Mm. And, like, it was respectful even how they lay his body into the goo and stuff like that. Like, And like you said, the music just lifted that entire scene. Like... Although that scene was relatively untouched, obviously there was a lot of stuff around that scene as well, like the the flash forward in time and the uh, obviously them breaking into the facility yeah, with Victor Stone his, and stuff. Yeah, how Victor Stone's father actually knew about it and helped him, and but there was that whole bit of just like having that little moment between him and his dad, and then just having him look as though he's like becoming somebody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how he just seems like he just walks so powerfully among, like, these other heroes and stuff, and his dad sees him and he's like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll I'll do what I can for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's smart. Like, it just made that entire scene so much more earned, and it made the following fight that they had as well seem more impactful. Like, they're not trying to make jokes every two seconds in it. Like, the fight felt warranted, and it wasn't wasn't overly drawn out either it's not like oh no superman's evil it's like no he's good like just give him a second we just need to hold him back for a second while he he finds himself type thing yeah that's it because it was it was more of like a tragic thing you know what i mean like and the moments of humor in this were were tasteful like Mm -hmm. the the bit of humor in this was um after it's um it's where uh, Clark, where he makes eye contact with Bruce and Bruce is stood there and um, he starts walking over and you get the heroes trying to stop him. So you get uh, Wonder Woman trying to stop him and you get the headbutt, headbutt bit. But then you yeah. get the bit where um, Aquaman goes behind and um, he like nudges the Flash and the Flash accidentally grabs him. But after that bit, they have that bit where he's like, he points at him and that's all <laughs> you need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Show Aquaman is this grumpy guy who's um, who doesn't really get on with people very much, and that's yeah. that's a better joke than Bruce being winded. Like he actually had a stare down with Superman, and it gave like resolution to the end of Dawn of Justice, and it made Lois coming in so much better. Like mm-hmm. rather than the Joss Whedon cut, like he gets like chucked across the thing and he's just there like i can't even remember what he says but i think he's just like 
Ugh! like Batman being like like a little wimp and just clenching his side type thing. Like we we had the setup of the gauntlets, we had him like block and like have to rip off these gauntlets. Like at that point, he's got no defenses left, and Lois jumps in to save him. Yeah, like it made that scene work so much better. Why did Joss try and put like like this film had jokes in it? Joss Whedon put the Flash landing in Wonder Woman's chest. That's yeah. not a joke. No. That's <laughs> that's accidental like molestation. <laughs> that's not a joke. And he's made he made the same joke in um I think it was um I think it was Black Widow and the Hulk in Age of Ultron, I think. Mm. Like he just reused the same joke and he's like it's not a joke that is it. <laughs> it's um, not a joke, is it? <laughs> No, no. I, I did notice as well when they, you know, the uh, panel of the names at the like the memorial where it has yeah. all the names. Uh, I paused it to see if there was any hidden Easter eggs, and the word Lazarus is there, which is interesting. Ooh, okay, yeah, cool. found that. That was a little interesting. Lazarus rose find. from the dead, like Superman did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an interesting little find that I found. Also, um, I liked. Um, because we got a lot of the scenes with Victor Stone's dad um, back in it, we also had the introduction of Ryan Chow, is it? Um, yeah, Ryan, who is Ryan the Choi. Atom. Yeah. Choi, that's the one. Uh, who is the Atom. He takes over from Ray Palmer's The Atom. So mm-hmm. he's a superhero in his own right. Cool. So we actually got him back in there, an and, Asian superhero. And we got the you should probably move moment. We got it. We did it, boys. <laughs> we did it. Got him, coach. Um, one thing that I want to talk about dead quick is the sound of the boom tubes. And uh, do you mean the fact that they actually boomed this time? Yeah, they boomed. But when they stopped, you know, when they uh, disappeared, mm-hmm. it made the most um, sci-fi computer noise sound <laughs> that you could ever... Yeah, like pew, 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 pew. and it was it was a little bit like hmm, yeah okay that's uh, that's a bit, maybe a bit rushed but um, yeah that was just one thing. But that they, they boomed as they left though, and that's what you need for a boom tube. You know Big what I mean? Boom tube. You need <laughs> you need you need a boom to make it a boom tube. Otherwise, it's just a tube. <laughs> the fact it's the fact it's called a boom tube in actual credit like canon is is hilarious. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the loss of Victor's father. That was a nice little twist. Um, that was a bit heartbreaking. It was good. Um, it built his character, which it, which thank God, Ray Fisher, you were so stole, like, you were robbed, man. <laughs> you were so robbed of this film, and um, he, he played it so well as well. Like we saw that death in the trailer, but the fact that it didn't come as early as I was expecting, like they pushed it back until it was probably just over the halfway point, I mm. think. Um, it was maybe like two thirds of the way into the film, and yeah. the way Ray Fisher solves that afterwards, like he's slowly regaining his humanity or like his perceived humanity. Like he's always had it, but he kind of closed himself off to it. And in that moment, he sold it so well. Like you said, because we had just had that moment where he nodded to his dad and stuff like that, and they had the recognition, like they had the reconnection, and then his dad sacrificed himself for him. But the fact it was <sighs> like. <sighs> The fact it was not what it seemed to be. And it was like, he didn't do that to try and destroy the box. He did that to leave a heat signature, which explained where it was. Yeah. Which was amazing. Like, that that, were, that was just so clever. 
that at first I was like, that was a bit weird because it has hardly touched the cube. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was perfect. That was really good. Um, and going on to that, you kind of go into the final act, um, which looked a lot better in this rather than it being all red and um, like like stuff like that. Um, but yep. the other big thing for me is that they fixed the abandoned Russian nuclear city where a random family doesn't live anymore. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, because they kept saying how it like irradiated it was. It was basically Chernobyl point two point oh. Like, of course no one's going to be fucking living there. <laughs> Apart from a family of uh, four who just seem to be living in a house on their own. Yeah, so they got rid of that family. That was clearly the most Joss Whedon thing going. Yeah. Good. Like, get rid of it. Just, it's an abandoned thing. You can destroy whatever the fuck you want. Every character I mean, got I'm a sure moment to all, shine. I'm sure you're all great actors in your own right, and I'm sure you're all happy that you got featured in a, a blockbuster film, but, you know, you didn't need to be in that. Sorry. <laughs> no. No. Why get rid of a scene with Martha and Lois, like, actually communicating and bringing back, like, Martian Manhunter, when we could have a scene of, like, four unknown Russian people that we don't care about? Hmm. I wonder how that Joss- was like Joss Whedon trying to add stakes to the end of it. All you need to do is explain that the fact that when these form the three mother boxes come together, it's going to destroy the entire world. Maybe have that be the stakes instead of a random family of four. <laughs> I wonder. Um, I wonder what I wonder what Joss Whedon thinks of this film because he went he went through uh, he went through quite uh, an interesting time lately, didn't he? In terms of the yeah. whole Ray Fisher allegations and all that sort of beef. He's probably um, watched this and been like, ah, fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that final fight, just going back to that, was so good. It worked so much better. The heroes had learned so much up until that point. They're working as a team. Like, when Soups finally dives back in and he takes the axe the same place that Darkseid did and it doesn't even flinch him, it's like setting up Superman versus Darkseid so well at that point. And, like, mm-hmm. we finally get that final fight. It feels so much more earned having Superman join the team at that point. Everyone's competent. Like, we see Steppenwolf playing on Diana's emotions and stuff like that. And we see him, like, try and break them down one by one, but he just can't. They just keep hitting back. We get that bully circle moment where, like, Diana uses a gauntlet to slap him over to Aquaman. He uses his trident to twat him back, and then Superman catches him midair and uppercuts. Damn! I was hype. <laughs> Damn, that was a a sick sequence. And it just got, made the final fight work instead of it being the, so. You got the speed force, which was good. That was maybe the most gorgeous scene in the film. He like he's going faster than the speed of light to the point where he starts going back through time. So he's. He's living the destruction of Earth in reverse, and he's basically walking through the universe, and the Earth is reforming around him as he's going back through time. That visual was stunning. It How... wasn't what we thought at all. We thought that was him going back and forth between the nightmare realm. Yeah, but, I mean, how, nah. how amazing was that twist, though? Like, I didn't think we were going to get a twist like that where they managed to synchronize the mother boxes. Yeah. I didn't see like, that coming. That, that was the Infinity War moment where yeah. the heroes have lost. Because, like, like it made that final scene work so much more better. And it gave, like, 
the Flash had something to do. That's why he wasn't in that final fight because he had something to do. He had he had to do something only he could do, mm. which was like generate enough energy and stuff like that, and be it far away enough from the impact that he could reverse time afterwards and instead of having to run a family away. And how brutal was that delivery of Steppenwolf to Darkseid? <laughs> Like when people like were talking about like when Tom and Jerry came out and they were making jokes about Wonder Woman beheading Darkseid, uh, Steppenwolf. I was like, ah, that was just people memeing, wasn't it? But, yeah, it's got to be because who's fuck. got to be who's got that far through the film and thought they, mm, this isn't for my kid? <laughs> they all get one last lick in. You know what I mean? They all yeah. get like one more impact in, and then she just beheads him. His headless corpse goes flying through. You got also by the way, you just got Dark Side and Apocalypse just watching the final act happen. Yeah, like. Imagine how much a sequel to this would slap now that, like, Darkseid has seen, has seen these guys. He's, like, going to come to Earth and be like, these fuckers are going to, these, like, ah, it sets up so many stakes. Like, like, just, and he just crushes his head. Yeah. It's like, disrespect. (laughs) It's like, it just, like, that moment made him... Steppenwolf feel weak again, and then you're like, "Oh fuck!" This is what I mean. Darkseid is a threat. I was expecting him to fucking Omega beam through the portal, but he just turns around and walks away. He's like, "Don't worry, I'm coming for your bitches." (laughs) It's just like it just, but again, it just it it helps Steppenwolf as a as a as a villain. It helped him because that's all he wanted to do was redeem himself for. Something Instead that, of some weird sort of my mums in the mother boxes, I'm going to reforge my mum thing that they were doing in the Joss Whedon version. Yeah, he was like, mother boxes means mother. <laughs> <laughs> like, I loved oh. that. That was such a good twist. Um, I don't know whether you know, so I loved um, Dark Sides. I love Nassad. I, I, yeah. I love I love Dassad, whatever his name is. Um, as, yeah. as like the the one who just kept telling Steppenwolf he was going to fail, I really liked that. Um, who was the human with him? So she's not a human. That's what I'm trying to remember. Her name is it's um, Granny Goodness. That's her name. Oh, Granny that's, Goodness. That's Granny Goodness. Yeah. So they've kind of like in the comic book, she's normally like a, quite a heavy set, like old, like traditional sort of like how you depict like. An old, powerful, elderly woman is normally like a bit more like heavy set. Like she's got like flowing grey hair and a cloak and stuff. Whereas this, they made her look more like a general. So like on Apocalypse, she is one of the warlords of Apocalypse essentially, and like she's like a massive deal, um, and she controls like a quarter of the planet, and she's just a general over them. So that's who she is. She's like basically controlling the Parademons as his left-hand man so Dessard does all his like magical and tech stuff where she leads his army ah okay i'm glad that got explained because i did think that was a bit weird but i can't believe that was granny goodness that's so good yeah um, such right. a stupid name for such a cool like weird character the names of characters on apocalypse are so bizarre in the best way uh, I'm trying to hold off talking about the nightmare bit until last. So <laughs> after this twist, um, we got the... Oh, right, were you surprised that the Luther-Deathstroke interaction was still in it? Um, I was... I, I know it was different. The epilogue felt was, a bit was, weird. It, was, it felt like yeah. they were setting up a lot of stuff. 
It was different. Um, it, it wasn't just like, oh, uh, you know, I'm putting got, together a team. Putting together a team. It was, I've got some information that might help you. His name's Bruce Wayne. I liked yeah. that because that then puts it that Deathstroke's on a mission, like, next time. Oh, the Batman solo film that never was. Like, the epilogue in this felt like it set up the DCEU that we didn't get. <laughs> but also, it, it it did talk about multiverse in here. It did directly address multiverse, which was great yeah. because you could still, in theory, leave it open to get this. I know it's very yeah. unlikely, don't get me wrong, but... It Are you is talking about all... the Joker's line? <laughs> well, that's like the main one, talking about all the different universes. Should we just talk about the nightmare scene now? Okay, we're let's talking talk about, about the, the nightmare scene. Oh, the first thing I'm going to say is the society bit isn't in here. That was just yeah. in the trailer as a joke, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Um, the nightmare bit, I was waiting for it. I'm not going to lie. I, thought I that, didn't know I, when it was coming. At no. any moment, I was like, you know when in the final act when they explode and everything like that and Barry goes into the Speed Force? Mm. I thought he was going to run forward in time by accident and experience the nightmare world and then go back in time to fix it. But nah, yeah. it's just another like premonition that he has. But let's talk about that real quick. I thought it was going to be right at the beginning. And I, I think we spoke about this. I thought the story was going to be is that that you see them send Barry back at the beginning and that links it together, if you get me. Yeah, I think I said maybe when they bring Superman back, mm. which we did get a flash forward to a nightmare-esque universe. But how fucking good to have it is that they were just like the ones that were left. Oh, the new version of the Justice League, your oh. Batman cyborg... You've got the new version of the Flash. You've got Mira wielding uh, King Atlan's trident with like the last two gallons of water that are left on the planet by the looks of it, so she can do a water bending. Then you've got, got Deathstroke on the team yeah. with him as well with his mohawk. That looks cool. And then you but have that the scene with the Joker. Where was that version of the Joker in Suicide Squad, man? Directly referencing the death of Robin. Directly referencing the, the way death of that Harley he... Quinn, how they were just like, oh, how he said, <laughs> like he said something along the lines of, "You better tread fucking carefully, Joker." I was like, <laughs> yeah, he was just there, like, "You better watch the next words that come out of your fucking mouth." And then he says it, and he's like, <sighs> "When I was holding Harley Quinn's dying body in my hands, she I said, said I was going to kill you fucking slowly." I was like. And then it was just, they were talking about, I wonder if there is a, a world in this multiverse where you don't screw up Batman. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. And then they talk about the death of the boy wonder and, oh, you know what? Like that, that line though, like we were talking about this earlier and I didn't say it, but you know, when he's like, oh, you won't kill me. He will give you a reach around. <laughs> And that felt like the most Jared Leto line ever. And I just burst out fucking laughing. All tension went from that scene at that point. <laughs> Were you just imagining uh, Batman and Jared, uh, Batman and Joker giving each other a reach around? <laughs> oh, it's um. wind. 
same laughing and they call it call a truce. Do you know what I've got in my notes? I was like, nightmare scene, bro. <laughs> but then his version of the Joker there felt like Jared Leto doing what Jim Carrey would have done as the Joker. Yeah. Like he felt so Jim Carrey like, but in a specifically Jared Leto way. Like Jim Carrey would never go that dark with his version of the Joker, whereas this was like you take Jim Carrey's version of the Joker and, well, he never did a version of the Joker, but if he did, and then you just make him warped. This was evil, man. Like, oh, so sinister. Like, that conversation between them and the, and they address the whole you won't kill me because you need me, Batman. Yeah. Like, that whole thing about in the comics and what is it? Is it, um... Is it uh, the Killing Joke or is it the? We've got multiple different versions. In the Killing Joke, like it it's ends... the whole, it's playing off the audience's expectation that Batman won't kill him. Like, how much will it take to break the Batman? Like, it or you're only ever one bad day away from snapping type thing, and it's yeah. left to open to interpretation whether he kills the Joker or not. But you've got like Death of the Family from New 52 and stuff like that. And he says, like, I've basically killed every member of your family at some point. Like, why won't you kill me? It's because you need me. I'm, like, your antithesis. Yeah, and it kind of, it kind of like, pays homage to that a little bit between those two. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean. It treats the characters with respect because it it addresses that in there. And yeah. that's why they're, they're working together. And, like, that's why they say, do we really need him around? It's like, what do you think? And it's like... That's because Batman can't bring himself to kill him. Do you know what I think that is? I think Joker might have his own, like, like militia or something in this future um, mm. because he calls a truce and he's like, as, as long as you've got this card, there's a truce between the two of us because you need me. So I think, yeah. like, they need... Because we see Batman with, like, uh, an army in the other version of the nightmare scene from Dawn of Justice, don't we? Well, he goes um, up against the Superman army, doesn't he? Well, he goes up against the Superman army, but there's people fighting with him as well against Parademons. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's so true. I reckon, like, maybe, like, that... I know it's a dream, so it's open to interpretation with everything, but um, does that version of the Joker have, like, an army and stuff like that that we're going to... That, like, it's not just he needs him mentally, like, he needs him and his group as well to take mm. out Darkseid in that final moment. He needs cannon fodder. <laughs> Do you think they were talking about Darkseid when they say they've, he's found us and then Superman appears in his blue and red costume? And I was like, woof. Bro. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> that felt so injustice at the end. Bro, but it's not just it's not just Bruce that has that vision. Cyborg also has it while he's holding the mother box. Yeah, but that's like a true version. Like in his version of it, um, like dark side. He's wearing his black and silver thing. No, he's not. He's wearing his red. No, when he's holding Lois's body, I'm sure he's wearing his black and. Oh, he silver. is. But when he when he's on the uh, the Justice League um, logo, when he's on the Justice League thing, he's in his yeah. red and blue. Yeah, he goes back to his red and blue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, there was I, there was the black costume all along. By the way, everybody. <laughs> it looked so fucking good. It did, it did. And I like how he kept it on. Like at the end when he pulls his um shirt open where it ends yeah. last time. Yeah. It was good. But it yeah, that night that nightmare bit film. hit different. 
It did, and it was so artistically shot as well. Like it was so close up on the faces and f- going in and out of focus, just to show how much of a dream and like how it's warping Batman's sense of reality and stuff like that. And then it leads to that final interaction with John Jones just in the just uh, joining the Justice League. Mm. Oh, bro, it was just such a better version of the film. Yeah, I've, I think people are probably going to be a bit 50-50 on that because I know there's a lot of controversy around Jared Leto's Joker, but that's probably the best thing he's ever delivered as the Joker. Oh, yeah, like, he was menacing, and that jo- uh, that laugh is creepy. Mm. Like, if it was your intro th- on this episode, I was just going to, like, join with that fucking laugh. Yeah. Like, that was ah, such a creepy ah. laugh. Yeah. Uh, and it works in this version as well. It's not just like he's not a gangster in the back room of a club doing a weird, horrifying laugh. Like mm. he is a horrifying human being right now. Yeah, yeah. He feels so he felt like a force of nature. And then to wrap up the film, as it hit black, I choked up when it came up at the end, saying "For I actually, I had to take a sec. Honestly, it was it was the saddest, but most like beautiful yeah. way of ending that film. Considering everything that you know happened in the post production and the journey that Zach went through for this film, like, yeah, it hit. It really hit. Yeah. Right. Um. I guess we wrap it up. We've been waiting. Do you want to give it a score out of 10? It's very hard. It is hard at the moment. It's hard because it's a 10 out of 10 improvement on the original. (laughs) But I don't think it's a 10 out of 10 film. No, no, it's not a 10 out of 10 film at all. For for a Justice League film, it's a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, for for where it, how it started and where we're at, it's definitely a, a 10 out of 10. I don't know. I think it it's hard to, to, to rate it without thinking about the problems of the first one. It's really hard to like see this as its own thing. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think like if I'd watched this instead of the Justice League we got, what would I have rated it? What would you have rated it? I don't I'm I'm thinking like as an overall film, like I know we give like Endgame a high score and stuff like that. I think it's probably seven, seven point five mm-hmm. as like a DC film. It's yeah. well up there. Like it's better than a seven point five out of ten for like a DC film. Yeah, I, um, yeah. it's it, like you said, it's hard to sort of quantify because there's so many other things that you're thinking about outside of the film. Mm. Um, the thing is, is I will watch. I would watch this again. Like if Definitely. I if I wanted to like sit down and like watch a film when you've got a month free. When I've got like <laughs> when I've literally you know when sometime in the future when I'm literally ill as anything and it's like it's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that you'd whack on like you would whack on the um, Lord of the Rings extended trilogy and like commit a whole day to it and then yeah. feel like you've done nothing productive all day. I would probably be like, yeah, you know what? I watched this. I watched um, the Snyder cut of um, Justice League. I wouldn't be ashamed by saying that. That I'd it made that. me want to watch the Dawn of Justice director's cut before watching this. Yeah, it also made me want to. I'd want to watch those two back to back. It also kind of made me want to watch the original Justice League just to see the differences. But 
I'm, I, I think I might honestly like set fire to my Blu-ray of Justice League after watching this. I don't. I didn't actually buy it. Yep, I unfortunately bought it. Bought it. Bought it. <laughs> anyway, that probably signals the end of the episode. I would give it a. I would give it an eight out of ten. I think. Yep. Based on what I've said, I think it makes sense. Um, right, that's it. What did you think of the Snyder Cut? Uh, make sure you hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know. You can hit us up at Get Real Pod on all those social medias. And if you are so inclined, you can also email through to us at GetRealPodUK at gmail.com. And Sam, let me tell you how the best way to support the podcast is. The best way to support the podcast is to leave us a rate and review on whatever network you listen to us on. Whether that's iTunes leaving us a five-star and a review, whether that's following us on Spotify, or, if you really want, head over to Podchaser and leave us a rate and review on there, and it'll syndicate it. We love the word syndicate. It'll syndicate it to all of our other podcast distributors. Um, Yeah, but also, more importantly than that, share us out on your social medias. Tell us... Tell your friends about it. Head over to our social medias. Tell us what you thought about Zack Snyder's Justice League, whether it's on the Twitter or whether it's on our Instagram. Get ready. Every Monday and Wednesday we put out socials. There's some other ones in between as well when there's some big hard-hitting news. Uh, yeah, let us know what you thought of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Share us with a friend. Tell your friend to tell us what they thought about it as well. Uh, click that repost on all of our socials. But yeah. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to check out Get Real Gaming out on Wednesday. Uh, I have no idea what they're talking about this week, but I'm sure it's going to be a winner. <laughs> Last week, they spoke about uh, Donkey Kong coming to Nintendo World. Yeah, Super Nintendo World. Also, I really want to go to Super Nintendo World. So bad. Mm, I really want to go to Galaxy's Edge. Mm. Oh, bro. Get me over to California. Anyway, next week, or throughout this week, we're probably going to do an extra episode. I was thinking that we could do an extra episode on Falcon Winter Soldier, like a quick little uh, touch base on that, and then maybe next week we should do Cherry. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Maybe we will. Who knows? We'll Mm -hmm. see you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye now. (laughs) We live in a society. (laughs) Hey, Batman, do you want to reach around? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they put that line.